Let's just read 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, and verses 9 and 10. Finally, brothers, end of the letter. We instructed you, as we instructed you, how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Go to verse 9. Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God. And I underline that phrase in my Bible. You have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. Okay, I think... Paul's implicit fear for the church in Thessalonica is that while things are going well, they would become apathetic and complacent about the proclamation of the cross of Christ and about living out the cross of Christ in Christian community. They are doing well. Why say anything? Because we all have a tendency to allow uh, plans and busyness and schedules to distract us from that which is central. That is the the, the, the benefit of corporate worship when we gather together and are reminded of truths that slip from our mind and we bring them back into our minds and we sing them together and we exalt them together to remind ourselves what this is all about. And as we have been talking about putting up a facility, building a church building, some questions run through my mind, some concerns and some areas of excitement. And I, I felt that as your shepherd this morning, I should attempt to kind of provide a little bit of guidance and shepherding for us as we look ahead. We don't have an absolute, we don't have absolute certainty that we're going to start building. It looks fairly certain, and I want to respond to that, okay? I feel like we need to address that publicly as a church family. And so I'm going to ask three very simple questions and then draw some applications. The first question is this, and I'll come back to this text in just a few minutes. First question is this, why are we seeking to build a building? And why have we been pursuing this for as long as we've been pursuing it? I think it's a question that needs to be answered because why is the key? One thought in my mind is this, we should get the building built so people stop asking me when it's going to happen, okay? That's one that I would like, okay? On the negative side, okay, I'm just joking. Uh, on the negative side, we are not building a building so that we can be more comfortable. Okay, I want to be profoundly clear about that us being more comfortable is not going to help us to live the christian life okay and we just need to be very very clear we have been blessed in this location but we have limitations okay the price of building a building is too much in order for us to be purchasing comfort okay it our comfort is not worth the amount that it's going to cost to put up a building okay Let's just be very clear about that. Secondly, we are going to build because we believe by God's grace that will enable us to fulfill our biblical purposes more efficiently and effectively. And that is what should drive everything we do. What are the biblical objectives that we think that we can achieve more effectively in the context of a building in our culture? Okay, and if we can say there are biblically justifiable purposes, mandates from God that can be fulfilled more effectively in the context of our own building, then it is something that we certainly should consider and perhaps pursue. Okay, does that make sense? Not for our comfort, but if it will enhance ministry and enable us to take the wonder of the cross to our community more effectively, then there is biblical grounds and justification for such a pursuit. 
Second question that comes to my mind. First, why are we seeking to build? Secondly, what biblical purposes do we believe will be encouraged, enhanced, affected by putting up a building? I think these are things that we need to ask. It's the question of not reason. It's the question of function in this case. And there are other things that may come to your mind, but I always go back to our core values. Okay, I'm always thinking, how's this going to help us in ministering to each other? How's this going to help us in sharing the good news of Christ? How's this going to help us in enjoying true biblical fellowship? How's this going to help us in corporate worship? Those are the ways that my mind drifts. Okay, what are the things that are non-negotiable that we are founded upon that will be encouraged by being in a new location? If we don't have purposes that get us there, there's no reason to go there. The first one, I think, is ministry. We have... In the context of our building, ministry limitations. Uh, probably in one area that is crucial is an area of children's ministries. Um, when we try to do children's outreaches, when we want to do a midweek program for our children, which is one of the fundamental re- means by which churches in our culture reach out to their community. Uh, there are things that we simply cannot do right now. Okay, so in terms of ministry opportunities, uh, for those that serve in various capacities in our church, it creates hardships at times. Sharing a building is not an easy thing, even though the folks that we're sharing the building with have been incredibly gracious and kind to us. We want to make sure that we express our gratitude to them. So ministry is one area. Another area is missions slash evangelism. Pick the word that works best for you. I, I make this observation. Most people don't know that we exist because we are, to them, invisible. Okay, and a number of you in our church family have made that observation. People don't know we, people don't know we exist. Okay, you know what? You're right. And here's the question that comes to my mind. Why don't they know we exist? Well, because we don't have a building. Okay, that, that's where my mind wants to go because that gets me off the hook. <laughs> First thing I want to know, if we had a building, then you know, people would know we exist. If we had a building, people would know we have a building. They would know we have a building. On the personal level, I think people don't know we exist because we, frankly, never tell them. We just don't tell anybody that we're here and that we're seeking to fulfill and do the will of God in our community. The fear of man produces in us an unjustifiable, irreconcilable silence about what matters most. So I hope you're not looking and say, well, when we get a building, we'll be able to reach more people. It's not going to help you reach more people. It may help us as a church family to become more visible But if we don't take on our own hearts a desire, a burden to share with people what God is doing in our lives and invite them to come in and join with us, then I think the building will be a substitute for what God wants each of us to do. And that is to take personal responsibility prayerfully for the needs of those in our community to actually begin to do something about it. Another area that is affected in terms of this evangelism missional concept is cultural. In our culture, people do tend to associate church validity with the church building okay i think that's virtually indisputable people are i hate this but it's true people are suspicious about a church that rents a facility i'm not quite sure why you don't have a building i remember when we first came up here my father-in-law came up to look for the church building he didn't know christ at that time he said i went up to the town to look around for the church building where is it because my wife grew up in the Presbyterian church down at the corner. They had the building. The question was a question of validity. People wonder about people who rent space. Are they a cult? Are they fringe? Are they strange? Yes. 
Okay. But they wonder about people who, they, they and, and I understand that. Okay, I, I'm never offended by it. I totally understand why you would think that, especially if you just know me and you don't know anybody else in our church. I understand why you would think that. A building will help. Now, let me say this. We support mission works around the world that don't encourage people to build buildings. So that raises a question in my mind. Why do we support Victor John's ministry? Because they don't build buildings. And the work in Indonesia through our beloved, because they don't build buildings. And we're saying, we need a building. Okay, and I think the answer to the question is cultural. If in India, you build a building in North India, you put yourself in danger. You make yourself a target unnecessarily. Okay, the cultural setting is completely different. In Indonesia, there just isn't the space. You're in cities by and large. Okay, and to meet in people's homes is a much more effective means and way of doing ministry. In fact, Abba Love, a very large church of 20,000 people, is splitting up their church into house churches. Because in their culture, it'll be a more effective way to reach. So we need to wrestle with that question culturally. Our culture places validity upon a church or thinks in terms of validity based upon it having a building and stability. It's a cultural reason. I understand it's not the only reason. It certainly is not. In terms of the practical reason, we lack space and visibility. Okay, we have limitations in outreach. We uh, have had a couple times in the last year where we have run near 80 to 85%, 90% of the capacity of this room. Okay, here's what happens. When you reach 80%, visitors cannot have anonymity when they visit your church. They want to come in, sit down, observe, and leave without you getting in their face. Statistics show very clearly that when a church reaches 80% of capacity, people will visit and will not return. Okay, why? I don't know exactly why, but it's just at the practical level one of the things that happens. For me, and hopefully for us as a church family, we'll stand up and say, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. We need to do something to enhance and create a greater ability to reach those that God is attracting to our church family. And a building will enable us to reach out more effectively to our community. We're doing more to address the invisibility of our church. We're working on uh, or we have been doing for the last couple of years, sending out new move cards. Anybody that's new in our community in Warren County gets a direct mail card from our church. Some get them a couple times. Some get mad. I got a call last week from a lady who said, my husband my, or my dad died 19 years ago and you just sent this card to him. I had to profoundly apologize. I'm sorry. But she was actually mad. She said, and secondly, I don't think a church should be sending out advertisement. So I had to apologize for that too. And then tell her we weren't going to stop doing it because we believe that we have a message that the world around us needs to know. And so we're going to do our best to take that message and share it with our community. We're also optimizing our website. If you go online and search our website and try to find Bible Church Washington, we're not even on the list. Okay, so we're working at optimizing so that we increase visibility for people that are new in the area and that are seeking to know more about our church family. Another objective, I think, in terms of biblical purposes is the issue of fellowship. Uh, our, the building footprint that we're working on is, is, is kind of developed around a cafe and kitchen area that will be at the center of the building, a place where people can come and enjoy fellowship together. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to make you a verbal promise. I'm hoping in two weeks we can get that footprint as close as possible and get it distributed so that you can begin to give impact, input uh, on that uh, footprint and plan so that uh, we can get a sense of what you're seeing in that drawing. So uh, Lord willing, in the very near future, that will come up. Uh, what we've attempted to do is to, to put together, uh, in, in terms of footprint from a ministry perspective, a place where people come and gather and be together and enjoy fellowship with one another. So we're going to attempt as soon as possible to get that out to you. So those, I think, are some of the purposes that will be enhanced. 
Number three is this. What is the place of a building in church life? Okay, what's the place of a building? Obviously, those purposes relate to this discussion, but what is the place of a building in church life? And I want to make sure that we are very, very clear on this. First of all, it is a tool that can enable us to be more effective in ministry. Okay? It's a tool that can enable us to become more effective in ministry. Um, men have an interesting tendency. And that is to, if you're, if you're handy and you like working with stuff, they have a tendency to collect tools. Okay? Now, I have tools I never use. I'll confess that publicly. Okay? But they're neatly in my drawers, in my toolbox. Okay? Those tools that I've purchased and organized aren't making me more effective. Okay? It is possible that we could build a building and be no more effective in reaching our community because we see the building as an end in and of itself. It's not. It's a tool that can be used to enhance our capacity to reach out to our community. And by God's grace, that's what we want this to be. And we want to make sure that we stay on that theme as we work through this process. It, let's see if this makes sense. A building cannot make us effective. Okay, if, you, if Mark Garrison went from Cromwell Tools put the nicest toolbox in my garage, it would not make me an effective mechanic. It wouldn't. Because I don't have the skill sets. If you put it in Dave Rader's garage, it wouldn't make him a great mechanic either. Because it already is. Okay? The tools enhance effectiveness. If I had this tool, I could do this more effectively. That's how, Lord willing, we will look at the building. That's why you, when you're, men, when you're at Lowe's or Home Depot, you say to your wife, Honey, if I had that tool, I could build you this. Right? It's all bribe. It's all about, I would be more effective. Okay? The same thing is true in relationship to church life. And to the idea of having it, why do it? If it will make us more effective in fulfilling our biblical mandates, there's a reason to pursue and to go after such a goal. But we need to know that it will not make us more devoted to Christ. It will not make us more effective. Secondly, it is and must remain secondary. It can never become primary. All right, this is where my fear creeps up. Okay, that in all of our discussions and in our times of prayer, we pray fervently about a building. And we always talk about a building. We need to talk about it to the degree that we need to talk about it. But we must not allow that discussion to become consuming. Because I believe with all my heart that if the building becomes the primary issue, it will have a devastating impact upon our church. It is secondary. It is not primary. Relationships are primary. So, I'll illustrate it this way. If as a father, your daughter calls you and says, I was just in an accident. Okay? The first thing that pops into your mind tells you what your priority is. Okay? If the first thing in your mind is, is she in our new car? <laughs> or if it's, was it your fault? Okay? You're out of whack. Okay? The first question should be, how are you? Are you okay? And as we look at building, the, the question that needs to be dominant for us is, how are we as a church family doing? In terms of our measurable biblical purposes, are we being distracted from them by an external pursuit? Is it killing zeal and love for each other? We must be sure that we protect the unity of the church. 
A building will not make us more effective in and of itself. But it can make us more effective if we pursue it with the God-given desire and purpose to see him exalted and lives changed through vital relationships. I've had an interesting thought all week as I've thought about this topic, and it is this. It is that my daughters, all three of them, will be raised in a pastor's home and will never have attended a church building through their high school years, at least. That was a fascinating thought to me. Grow up in a pastor's home and not in a church building. Does that mean my children haven't experienced church as God intended it to be? Okay, what, what is a church? I hope we never look at a building and say, oh, we finally have a church. I've had people say that to me in this church. Okay. May we resist the tendency to identify ministry with a building. A building is a building. It's a tool. It's not ministry. You can have a beautiful facility. I saw this this week. There was a, a, a brand new uh, mall that was built. I think it was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. A brand new mall built. Completely unoccupied and shut down and bankrupt. Beautiful facility. You know what it's accomplishing? Absolutely nothing. Okay, it's a tool. And I think it's an important tool for us to consider and to pursue. But... In and of itself, it can accomplish nothing. Let's go back to our text then. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. Paul says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are now living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, do this more and more. Go over to verse 9. Now about brotherly love. The idea here is love for siblings. All right, that's what the word Philadelphia means. Okay, It is love for siblings. Okay, and most of you are thinking, is there such a thing? <laughs> the answer is yes. Why is it applied in the context of church life? Why does Paul write them about Philadelphia, about brotherly love? Because in the context of church life, what are we? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is saying to the church, he's saying, now about this topic, brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Well then, Paul, why are you encouraging it? Well, at one level he's saying, from the internal, intrinsically, by the Spirit of God's presence, you have the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first evidence that genuine conversion has taken place. If someone says, I've trusted Jesus Christ, but I don't love people in the context of my church family, their profession of faith, biblically speaking, is in severe doubt and question. Because love is the evidence of genuine conversion. And it's fascinating to me that Paul can write and say, you have been taught by God to love each other. And then in verse 10 he says this, and in fact, you do love all the brothers. Not only in the context of the church in Thessalonica, but throughout Macedonia. And yet it is to them that Paul expresses a genuine concern. So what is it? First, it's joy. You guys love each other. And that's an awesome thing. And you not only love each other in your own church, you love the church at large. You have an affection, a sibling love. 
for the larger picture of the body of Christ, which is a glorious thing. I think we have to ask ourselves, as we look at building, are we simply becoming internally focused and ingrown? Or are we willing to maintain an external focus in our community? So Paul has joy because they do, in fact, love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet, the second half of the verse tells us of Paul's concern. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. I got a phone call from my daughter Erica on Tuesday morning. She was home from Wednesday night till Sunday afternoon. She called me at 7.30 on Tuesday morning to inform me about something that her friends said to her after they visited our church. Here's what they said. They said to her, they said, we are so excited to be at your church. And, and you think they might pay, okay, Doug spoke, which was awesome last week. Worship team was awesome last week. You know, what, you know what impressed them and encouraged them the most? They said, your people are so friendly and encouraging. They said, we felt so accepted and loved. Doug Finkbeiner, oh, every time he comes, he's like, you know what, the people in the, in, at the chapel are just so friendly. A new family in our church said, so, you know what? People in the church are real, approachable, and loving. I can't tell you how much that encourages my heart. That tells you the health, the heartbeat of your church. Folks, if building a building kills that, I'd rather not build a building. Okay, you can't build that. That is coming out of being sensitive to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives on a regular basis. And I... I'll just admit to you, my, my, my tendency in terms of looking at church life is to be critical because I tend to see the things that need to be improved. And as I was thinking of preparing this, I, I, thought, I felt, I, I said, I understand what Paul's saying here. Okay? I, you're doing it. You're loving each other. But don't become complacent and apathetic. Don't rest in past accomplishments. Maintain a fervency about being sure that we embrace and reach out to every person that visits in the context of our church family. That we take time to love them and encourage them for the glory of God. Paul fears apathy, complacency, a cooling off of first love. What he's basically saying to them is, you guys are all doing very, very well. But there is room for progress. For me, the prospect of putting up a church building moves me in two ways. It brings me immense joy. The thought of finally seeing this happen brings me immense joy. Why? Because in March, I will have been here 20 years. 20 years. In my pride, I'm tired of people at home asking me, do you get a building yet? <laughs> All right, just be blunt. In my flesh, I've... I can, when people ask, I can get this twinge of, ooh, I wish they wouldn't ask that. Right? In our pride, we can go there. We want that to happen. Okay? So it's a check for me in my heart. Why? Why do we want this to happen? Why do I want this to happen? To be sure that the motivation and the purpose is to honor and bring glory to God. So it brings me great joy to think about us having a place where we can effectively do ministry together. My concern is this. We must never look at a building and say, now we finally have a church. Because Ephesians 2.19, and I just, if, you, if you want to turn back there real quick, do that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Here's what Paul says. 
He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Get down to verse 22. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is a staggering statement. You together, church, are a habitation or a building in which God has chosen to live by his spirit. What does that mean? That means the corporate gathering of the body of Christ is a setting in which God personally comes and manifests himself. That is staggering. He comes down and meets with us when we are together. Be very clear. It doesn't matter where we are gathering. He is there. The book of Matthew says it this way. When two or three are gathered in my name, what happens? God says, I am in the midst. I come and I meet with my people in a way that is different than he meets with us individually. And that for us should be a fascinating and encouraging statement. We are the body of Christ, meaning the church gathered together corporately. In chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul says this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in, his, in your inner being, so that Christ may settle down in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that is, it is staggering and incomprehensible, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he says this, Now to him who is able to, to do immeasurably more than we would ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Who's Paul talking to? He's talking to the local church as they gather, that these are the abundant blessings that he wants them to comprehend. And may we never look at a building as that. May we realize that the internal reality of the presence of Christ and the blessings of Christ in our lives, born by the Spirit, or what church life is to be all about. We are his residents and we exist to manifest his glory for no other purpose. May our excitement as a church family, our joy as a church family, always be rooted in this glorious thought. A building sitting on a piece of property has severe limitations. A building will never comfort a broken heart, but people can. A building will never communicate the glorious hope of the gospel to a sinner. People do that. A building will never teach a child biblical truth. Christian teachers do that. A building will never warmly greet a seeker, but you can. Folks, here's the bottom line. God can use a building, but he always uses people to do his work. And as we go after this, may we remember that there's joy in what God is already doing in our midst. But may we also maintain a, a healthy sense of concern that we do not become apathetic and complacent or distracted by other issues. May our God-given purpose, purposes, be what drive us in all of these things. There's a, a need for balance, and the question that I think that we need to put before ourselves as a church family is this. Can we pursue building a building while maintaining our focus 
I think the answer, very simply put, is yes. And I think the answer is we must. We must. As we pursue that goal, we must be sure that we are insistent upon pursuing it for the glory of God and for the purpose of more effective ministry. See it as a tool. That leads me to practical outcomes just for conclusion. Number one, as you pray. Pray in a few specific ways in this regard. Pray that God would grant us favor with the needed approvals that lie before us. Uh, Ken Pilch did a great job in getting us through on this site plan approval process, the revision of that. We need to go to God. Did you go to God? And thank him. I'm, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm with the, the, the elders for prayer, uh, Dave has given thanks a number of times recently for some things that th- they're like yesterday. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, we're moved on. And we should be living with this level of gratitude for what God has already done that motivates us in our prayer and giving praise and glory to him. So make sure we take time to give thanks to God for what he's done. He's given us favor with the Franklin Township and given us the approvals that we needed. God has blessed us with a lawyer who has been kind to us financially in the state of New Jersey. That's miraculous, okay? Um, that it's, I mean, someone says, I'm just going to charge you guys this much. And I know the amount of letters he's written and hasn't charged us. We never asked. He's just done it that way. We have things that we can say, God, thank you. He's given clear signs of favor and blessings. Dunkin' Donuts is three-tenths of a mile from the church. Okay? I mean, how, right? And he stopped us from building so that that could happen first so that we would know that we're supposed to build. Okay? That's how I'm looking at it. Okay? Here's, here's my prayer as we move forward. Okay? Here's my prayer. My prayer is, God, if you don't want us to build, give us a clear sign. Give us a clear sign. I mean, if you don't want us to do this, if you think it's going to compromise mission and purpose, it'd be hard to say, okay, it's not going to happen. But if it not happening keeps us on track, it's one of those things that later you look back and say, God, I see exactly why you did that. Okay? The delays that we've experienced that we thought were costing us, have probably turned out to be a, a massive savings in this project. We were looking at numbers of two million a year and a half ago. Today we're looking at numbers more like 1.4, 1.5. Okay, and it looks, look at the financial, but it looks like something that's within reach. Pray. Pray that God would excite us, but that we would see that it's like a new tool. Okay? Men understand this, ladies, it's something new that, that you love. It's It's exciting, but it's a tool, okay? It's a tool to achieve the ends and goals that God has for us. So pray, take time to give him thanks for the ways that he has demonstrated his help. And pray with confidence because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord in terms of the approvals that we're waiting for. The king's heart's in his hand. So when you pray, say, God, you are in absolute control of this. You can turn that individual's heart to get this done for your glory. Pray that he would do that. Pray for the financial needs that will come up. I, I get asked this question by people in our church often. Um, where are we going to get the funding? Okay. I'm a little bit mystified by that at times. Okay. Um, sometimes I actually, when are you going to build the building? That scares me. Okay, that, just, that scares me almost more than anything else in my life. Especially people outside of church that look at it, you know, they see you as a pastor and they think it's about you. It's not about me. I don't want it to be about me. 
God's work has always been supported by the sacrificial giving of his people, always. We're not going to go to outside people and try to solicit funds from them. We're not going to do fundraisers. We're not going to do meals. We're not going to do any of that stuff. We're going to trust that God will provide for our needs through his people because that has been his design throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of the people of Israel. That is the plan and design of God. And when we as individuals gain a proper understanding of our God-given resources, our hands go like this. I don't think it's going to be any problem if we together say, you know what, we need to be committed to sacrifice together. I believe that God is going to honor that. I asked the uh, board, our church board on Wednesday night, this thought, and I'm going to put it out to you. I asked them, or I, I suggested them that we should freeze our church budget for next year. That we should be willing to sacrifice for the purpose of seeing this happen. And so my suggestion to them is that I think we should freeze the budget to make sure that each one of us is sacrificing in an appropriate way to see this task completed for the glory of God. It's going to take sacrifice. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Are you giving sacrificially from your God-given resources? And I don't simply mean money. What I mean is this. I mean your time, your talents, and your treasure. Because we can build a building and be ineffective in ministry because people aren't taking their God-given talents and using them for his glory in a committed way. We need to give of our time so that we can be together as the church so that we can grow. And then we need to give of our resources to see the work of God begin to experience progress. Mutual sacrifice is going to be part of the picture. And the last thought is this. Pray that God would preserve us in unity and purpose. Pray that we would say, okay, these are the things that as a church we're doing fairly well with, but in the back of your mind, have Paul's words of concern, do it more and more. Okay, do it with a vengeance, do it with, uh, with an abundance, do it with all your might. It's, I am sure that the manager for the Philadelphia Phillies after they won the last game reminded them that that celebration that they experienced at the end of winning that championship was not the goal. So that while they're celebrating it, they realize, oh, oh, there is a lot more that needs to be done. And next year is coming. Same thing is true for the church. Celebrate and enjoy what God is doing in our context, but realize more and more. And when you look at the more and more, say to God, God, I can't do that. I don't have the energy to do that. And you will find yourself resting in his power and strength to see what he wants to do accomplished in the context of our church life. So my prayer is going to be this, that as we move forward and as we look at what we were doing about brotherly love, Paul says, I don't need to write to you. You've been taught by God. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout your region. Yet we urge you, brothers, excel at this. Do this more. Fight the tendency to become apathetic. Fight the tendency to become distracted. Fight the tendency to become complacent. Press in with God. In terms of God-given purposes, commit yourself and trust God with the results for his glory. May God help us to fulfill our God-given purpose, which we as a church summarize by saying this. We say that our desire is to see God honored and lives changed through vital relationships with the end that we make more and better disciples for the glory of God. That we would desire to see God exalted and lives changed through vital relationships with the aim that there would be more and better disciples for his glory.
I've recently been thinking about, I don't know if it's because of being here the length of time, but I've been thinking about people that have come to Christ in our church family and have grown and have raised their kids in our church family as Christian young people. Sometimes I think I'm not old enough to think like that because I haven't been around that long. But I have been. Have been. Seeing kids born in this church, seeing their parents come to Christ, grow in Christ, and move forward. That's what God's doing in our midst. That should be the cause for greatest joy in our lives. God is changing lives through the chapel at Warren Valley. He's put before us, I believe, this task of putting up a building. May we not lose our focus as we pursue. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for what we sung this morning because that's what it's about. It's about the cross of Christ. And if a facility helps us to proclaim Christ more effectively in a culturally sensitive way to our community, then so be it. So be it. And may God put it on our hearts to do whatever it takes to be sure we get to that end for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?